Okay. We are uh, this morning uh, still in Genesis chapter 27, and we have been uh, looking at this whole uh, incident of the of the uh, stealing, if you want to call it that, or the taking of the uh, birthright, or excuse me, the blessing by uh, by Jacob from Esau. And uh, last week we looked at the actual uh, the actual deception, the actual uh, taking of the birthright or the blessing, excuse me. And uh, and today we're going to look at uh, kind of the follow-up to that, the discovery of the deception, and and the reactions to that. Um, and uh, it's uh, this is this is a hard I don't know it's a hard passage. It's a hard it's not not difficult, particularly difficult to understand, but it's, a, it's just a hard passage to talk about. It's a hard story to talk about because there's so much, uh, uh, so much, I guess, unpleasant about it. Uh, that's the way the scriptures are at times. They, <clears throat> they tell us, uh, they, they tell us uh, everything about people, warts and all, as, as they say, and and uh, so sometimes we have part portions of Scripture that just really aren't all that fun <laughs> to look at. <clears throat> and yet there really is a lot to learn in this passage and there's a lot of instruction in it. And so, so we certainly want to think about that. So we're going we're gonna to talk today. We're going to talk about the discovery <clears throat> of the deception and then uh, uh, Isaac's response to that and Esau's response to that. Uh, but before we do, uh, let's go back and think about some of the things that we talked about last week. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> last week we were, I believe, doing verses uh, 18 through 29 or so, and today we'll pick up with verse 30. So <clears throat> looking back uh, over the verses that we looked at last week, what do you remember that we talked about? Okay. He he tried to uh, make sure he was blessing the right son, didn't he? Uh, got to pass these out, so let me pass these out now. Hang, hangover from the party last night. <coughs> was it common for people to try to well, uh, you know, I was thinking about that today or the, yesterday and today, and uh, and uh, when you think about it, uh, it, it, it is a it is even today a common point of contention in families, isn't it? <laughs> uh, lawyers make a lot of money off of uh, uh, off of litigating. Uh, these kinds of things, so I assume it was fairly common. And I may be jumping ahead of you, Rick, but I was thinking, in, in the law, if somebody did this today, it would be fraud, and you know, if you, you obtain something by fraud, the transactions can be voided. Yeah. So, you know, if you got a blessing by fraud, it looks like, well, Isaac found out, he said, okay, let's go back and do this over, guys, both of you come in here, and because it was fraudulent, and you know, God can undo something. So I'm wondering why this can't be undone. Okay, good question. We'll get to that. 
You're right. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> well, I also don't want to get ahead of that. <laughs> but I will anyway. <laughs> you mentioned last night that we keep you on your toes, and that's, this is not intended to do that either. With all these caveats, what are you going to say? <laughs> well, I've been thinking about the New Testament passage, and I wonder if you want to address it, where, where God says, uh, Jacob I love and Esau I hate it. <clears throat> and it's not addressing this passage directly, but it is a very prominent, related mm-hmm. passage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, have you intended to kind of talk about that? Well, actually, I wasn't going to talk about that passage other than possibly just a brief reference to it. Uh, because it isn't directly related to this particular part of the story. Uh, but we might get to that, and if we don't, bring it up again, and we'll touch on it. So. If I remember, I but, might bring it up. But what I'm trying to do here right now is I'm trying to review what we talked about last night, last week, not prophesy what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> do you remember anything else from last week? Okay. Okay. We wrestled a lot with that, didn't we? We talked about what makes... What makes spiritual deception different from other spiritually negative conditions? <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. What makes it different? We talk about something, you know, we talk about pride and anger and lust and all these other different... Yeah, yeah. You can be proud and know you're proud. You can be angry and know you're sinfully angry. You can, you can wrestle with lust and know that you're wrestling with the sin of lust. But when you're spiritually deceived, you really don't know it. And that's the, that's the peril of deception, that, that you can be in that condition and not know it. Yeah, Kevin. I was going to say, one thing I noticed in the text, I don't know if we talked about this, that he brought in, he also brought in wine. We didn't. Uh-uh. <clears throat> but that, that might be a part of the issue. I mean, clouding his judgment as well. No, oh, possibly. Yeah, I, I would assume it's probably a common part of the meal. But yeah, but that, that's a possibility. Maybe a little. If he was given to too much food, he may have been given to too much wine. Yeah. yeah. Last week, along with Noah, didn't get to it, but you know, Moses was providing this message to the tribes. Mm-hmm. He also provided them the law. And later on down, you read in Romans 8, you know, even though they know the law, they're still deceived. Yeah. They can still be deceived, spiritually deceived. Yeah, yeah. So that principle operates even when there is instruction. Yeah, yeah. So we actually spent a lot of time last week just wrestling with the question, how do we avoid spiritual deception? Do you remember some of the things we suggested were ways to avoid deception? Okay. One of them very clearly is just to have our minds saturated with God's Word. And, and I think not just to have known the Scripture, not just to have acquired the knowledge, but to have it actually as a, a living presence in our life, to be continually meditating and contemplating on it and keeping it fresh in our minds is, is so important. What else? What are other ways we avoid spiritual deception? Yeah. Yeah, just being aware that it's a peril, that's something we need to watch for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think if you uh, I always come back to this passage in John 14 where Jesus 
right before his crucifixion said the prince of this world is coming but he has nothing in me mm-hmm. and I thought I can't say that in any way <laughs> I think that's the idea when we open the door to Satan for all of us do the first thing he reaches for is the light switch mm-hmm. he gets his hand in the door he turns out the light then, then we're blinded and he really wants to do yeah yeah we also talked about wise and then listening to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having people in our lives that will speak the truth to us uh, when we're when we are uh, getting off track a little bit. That's so crucial. And then being willing to listen when they do speak to us. So, were you going to say something else? I was going to say that also it seems like the scriptures put the onus on the individual believer to not be deceived. Yeah. There's you know, Jesus saying, see to it that you're not deceived. Mm-hmm. When, he's, when he's explaining to the end times, he yeah, yeah. Warning us that there will be false prophets, false teachers, adults, many. And then also, you know, Paul saying, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, I see the notice being put upon the individual believer. I think that's an important point, too, because we often think of somebody who's deceived as being a victim. And, and of course, in one sense, they oftentimes are a victim, but they are also responsible and accountable to God for allowing themselves to be in that position. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we talked about last week is the, uh, this was also the spirits. Yeah. And Rebecca was the one that heard you saw the instructions. Rebecca's the one that called Jacob. Yeah. This is what you're going to do. Listen to me while I command you to do Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. They were, they were in cahoots together on this deal. Yeah. Well, you talked about the sovereignty of God this whole soap opera, everybody manipulating their own game plan, and God still worked out the way He said it would work out. It's amazing, isn't it? God's able to do that. We'll talk some more about that today. That He's able to work things out for His purposes, uh, even when everybody is conspiring and planning and plotting to do according to their own will. Anything else before we go on? Well, let's pick it up in verse 30. Things get a little hairy here. He says, Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had already or had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from the hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac, his father, said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, 
and all his relatives I have given to him as servants and with grain and new uh, as servants and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So now you know why I say it's a hard passage. <laughs> uh, so we, we open the passage here. We have the scene where Jacob has just been blessed by Isaac. And uh, that's all taken care of now. And, it's, and, and uh, then here in verse 30, uh, uh, Jacob leaves the presence of his father. And no sooner does he leave the presence of his father than Esau returns with the game. Okay? And uh, uh, very clearly, what the passage is trying to communicate to us here is this. This is a very close call, folks. <laughs> this, is a, this is a really close call. This is a close situation. And, and he's, uh, Jacob and, of course, Rebecca as well. Jacob and Re- Rebecca are nearly caught in this deception that they have brought about on their father. They're nearly caught red-handed. Okay? But they're not caught red-handed. Why are they not caught red-handed? Well, yeah, but I mean, what actually prevented them from being caught red-handed? Well, but here in this verse, why do they not get caught? In this verse, I mean, all all your answers are right, but I'm asking you. This is this is so obvious you're missing it. Okay, okay, Esau's too late, right? Esau's too late. And really, this is one of the important points of this passage is the concept of being too late. Okay, and we'll see that as we go through the passage and then as we look at the explanatory passage in Hebrews chapter 12. But but the but the reason that Jacob and Rebecca get away with this scheme is because Esau's just too late getting back. And when we. When we think about this scenario here, we imagine, you know, well, you know, what would have happened? I mean, for those of you guys that are hunters, you know how, you know, in, in uh, hunting, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the animal is there or whatever, and you take the animal and, you know, and, and then do whatever preparations you do. Apparently, it's, I assume it's, he, he probably has something of some size here, whatever it was he, he, uh, he got, whatever kind of game he got. Uh, he probably had to prepare it and bring it home, uh, get it ready to bring home and carry it home and that sort of thing. And I can imagine he might have stopped to rest for a minute. What would have happened if this animal had showed up five minutes earlier? If he had walked a little faster coming home? Yeah. You can, we've all been there in situations where we've been too late for something, right? 
And, and you go back after you've been too late and you think, well, if I'd only done, or if I hadn't stopped here, or if this had happened a little bit sooner, you know. And, and so what, what, in, what impresses on our minds as we read this passage is what a close call this was. And how many variables there must have been, which if they had happened, the whole story would have been different. And, and what's interesting is that in Genesis, uh, we have more than one occasion where the narrator makes a point uh, to us of the, of the preciseness of God's timing. Okay? And one classic example that we've already looked at is, is back when, the, the, when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Rebekah. Remember that? And he goes... Uh, he goes uh, up to Peyton Heron to find a wife for uh, for uh, Isaac, <laughs> not find a wife for Rebecca, to find a wife for Isaac. So he goes up to find a wife for Isaac and he gets to the well. Remember that? And he when he gets to the well, what does he do? He prays. OK, and he prays that God would bring a, a woman. OK, when does that woman arrive? Even before he finishes praying, as he's finishing his prayer. The narrator makes a point. Okay? And, and the idea is that God is providentially involved in this situation. Okay? That's what's trying to be communicated there. Is that, is that as the servant comes, God is providentially working. And as the servant is traveling and he arrives at the well and he goes through this prayer, and at precisely the right moment then, Rebecca shows up at the well. Okay? We'll see another example of it when we get... Uh, to the story of Joseph. Remember when Joseph is, uh, is uh, accosted by his brothers and he's thrown in the well and, uh, and they're debating with what they're going to do with him, whether they're going to kill him or whatever they're going to do. And they sit down to eat. And as they sit down to eat, while they're talking about what they're going to do with Joseph, do you remember what happens? We haven't gotten this part. Pardon? The traitor Yeah, the caravan comes by. Okay? And this is, we, we, as the story unfolds then, we discover that this was all part of God's purpose. This was all part of God's uh, plan uh, to get Joseph to Egypt in order to save his family. Okay? Of course, it doesn't look like that at the time. It just looks like, you know, just a coincidence that these traitors come by. And the brothers, of course, they just think it's a, well, it's just a, a lucky coincidence for them. Ah, we can make some money off of this deal. And they don't realize that God is providentially directing circumstances. And so here, too, the lesson here in this apparently close call that appears to be merely coincidence is really the providence of God. It's God saying, okay, I'm in control of this situation. Now, that's really encouraging to see at this point, right? <laughs> because if this whole story has been going on, we haven't seen a lot about God yet, have we? <laughs> we, haven't, we, haven't really, you know, we haven't really been had much cause to think that God is really very involved in this situation. But now, it's like the narrator says, but see, God's controlling this whole thing down to the very minute of what happens. And it becomes very clear then that it really is God's intention for Jacob to have the blessing. If he had not wanted Jacob to have the blessing, he could have directed circumstances otherwise and, and Esau could have arrived sooner and discovered the whole thing and blown the cover and, and this whole story would have been different. But of course we know 
that it was God's intention, and it has always been God's intention, that Jacob be the one that has the blessing. Okay? Which is, of course, what he said in the oracle to, to Rebekah before the twins were born. He said, it's going to be Jacob. Okay? And so God is, even though mankind is scheming and humans are scheming and they're all kind of doing their own thing without much consideration at all for really what, how God wants things done, and, and so they're all doing their own thing. God is providentially working. And, but one of the things that's <clears throat> interesting to me is, is why does he point this out? Why does, he, why does he point out to us this, this apparently close call? You know? and, and I think about Jacob as he looks back later in his life and realizes <clears throat> how close the call was on this. He must have had cause to reflect on this very principle. Well, you know, I was doing my thing and mom was doing her thing and dad was doing his thing and Esau was doing <clears throat> his thing. But if I have the blessing today, it's not because of anything I've done. But it's because God has pro- God providentially directed in that circumstances. And God is the one who made sure that I had the blessing. So I think it, I, I think it probably served as a reminder later in Jacob's life to recall that this thing really is of God. And it's not of a thing that man has done. Okay, well, <clears throat> so, so we have this really close call and then Esau gets home and he goes and he prepares the dish of food and he brings it to his father. And uh, what happens at that point? I think Okay. So, so Esau comes in and we have this, this interaction, you know, Father, would you rise? It is interesting, uh, some commentators point out, it is interesting that, that uh, the way uh, Esau addresses his father is with much more reverence and respect than we see with the way Jacob addressed his father. <coughs> addressed his father. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if we can make a great deal of it, but, but you'll notice how uh, Esau addresses his father in the third person. It's kind of with that, with that deference. He says uh, uh, in uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 31, he says, Let my father arise and let him eat of his son's game. You see, he's speaking in the third person. He only, comes to the, he go, he only goes to the second and first person when it's necessary for him to talk about himself. And then he says, uh, so that you may bless him. But he begins with this kind of third person address. And, he's, and, and what he's doing there is he's, is he's expressing a, a deference and a respect for his father. Okay? And, and that really is uh, kind of an interesting point because one of the things we talked about with Jacob last week is is, is how did Jacob have the, have the gall? How did he have the nerve to do what he did? And, 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 and we asked, by what, by what sophistry did Jacob justify these lies that flowed off of his tongue like water? I mean, just one lie after another and the wit with which he lied. He just did it with such ease and such callousness and such coldness towards his own father. And one of the things we talked about is that he's probably spent a lifetime of just being mad at dad. He spent a lifetime of being bitter because his dad was favoring his older brother. And, uh, and so we see that reflected to some degree in, 
in the, in the much more casual way that Jacob addresses his father as opposed to the way Esau addresses his father. And uh, so anyway, he, he says, uh, uh, he addresses his father, he asks him to get up and eat, and then, and then dad says, who are you? Okay. And he says, well, I'm your son, your, your firstborn, I'm Esau. You, know, you can imagine kind of a puzzlement in Esau's mind as he's going, why is dad asking me who I am? He's expecting me to come and bring this food for him to eat. Why is he asking this? And then, and then, we, get the, and then we get the reaction that, that, uh, that he was talking about uh, of, of this violent trembling. And uh, actually, the, the uh, Hebrew there, uh, the liter- uh, literal translation of Hebrew there, uh, is he, he trembled. Uh, uh, let's see, let me get this exactly right here. Um, he said he trembled a great trembling exceedingly. Okay. So we see this old blind man who's now somewhat sick. And he suddenly realizes that he's given the blessing to somebody other than the one he intended to give it to. And you just see this old guy just start shaking, okay? And he's not, it's not just a light tremor. I mean, you know, I'm not going to dramatize the whole thing here because I feel, feel like an idiot up here doing it. But, but this guy is really shaking. He is just violently shaking. Now, what's interesting to me is here he doesn't tell us why he's shaking. He doesn't tell us why he's trembling. You notice that? Just as he's trembling. When we, when we get down later in the passage, uh, and it talks about Esau's grudge for Jacob, we would think we would know why Esau would have a grudge against Jacob, but he goes to the bother, he goes to the trouble to tell us why. So he tells us why Esau bears a grudge against Jacob, but he doesn't tell us why Isaac is trembling. And I'm going, why doesn't he tell me? Why doesn't he tell me why Isaac is trembling? Because to be honest with you, I can think of several reasons. You know, we just had one or two just mentioned right here, but I can think of several reasons why Isaac might have been trembling at this point. And so I'm going, okay, Lord, why didn't you you tell us why he was trembling? And, and I think sometimes in situations like this in Scripture, the Lord leaves, leaves things in a bit of a shadow because, because in some way I think he wants us to put ourselves in that place and kind of reflect, well, why would I be trembling? How would I react if I had discovered what, e- what Isaac had just discovered? And uh, <clears throat> so, so I, think, I can think of... Uh, I can think of several things uh, that might have caused Isaac to react the way he did, and you may think of some others. But but one of the things is he's he's that, that comes to my mind is he's he has just discovered that he has blessed not the wrong person, but a different person than he intended. Okay, and and I think that what may have just overwhelmed him at this point is just how seriously he had misjudged this whole situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you just realize you've just really blown it? Where it just becomes obvious to you, you've, you've just 
misapprehended, misdiagnosed, misjudged a situation entirely. And 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 I don't know, maybe maybe that's what just overwhelms Isaac at this point, is he just realizes how seriously he's misjudged things. He, he to to realize that that something that is you know, I, I don't think he could imagine that something that was so precious and valuable to him was such a beautiful, wonderful thing could be the source of such remarkable bitterness and hubris and conflict in his family. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that in your life, but but to see something that's to see something that's valuable and precious to you and just see how with other people it just causes just all kinds of trouble and trauma and crisis, you know. And and just to realize, you know, here is something that this guy has cherished his whole life. It's something that's been precious to him his whole life. And and if you and if you think about it, he's probably spent a good deal of his life contemplating the pleasure and the joy of passing this on to the next generation. And now, now in, this, in this moment that to Isaac was going to be so precious and so beautiful and so wonderful, just explodes up in his face like a volcano. It's no wonder he's sitting there just shaking uncontrollably. Because he realizes how he's, he's totally misunderstood everything. He's misunderstood Esau. He's misunderstood Jacob. He's misunderstood his wife. He's been totally clueless. And he realizes now at this point. Uh, and, and linked with that is just the... Just the I mean, he, he, he asks here who did this, but it's clear he knows because a couple of verses later he says your brother did this. Okay, So he knows who. It's just kind of his first gut reaction is who would do this thing, but immediately he knows. Yeah. So did he misunderstand God too? Because a couple of chapters earlier God said the older will serve the younger. Did he misunderstand or did he just ignore what God was uh, at I, I think that over a period of time, I think he ignored it initially and over a period of time that became the deception in his life. So we talked about this last couple of weeks or so that he has, these, he has this spiritual blind spot in his life, you know, that he, that he cannot see that Esau is unqualified to have the blessing. Okay? Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know the exact process that goes on uh, in uh, what, what the exact process that went on in his life, but but what I kind of read into it or understand is that he just initially just disregarded it for whatever reason, and over a period of time, I'm sure that became you know you know how when we when we initially convince ourselves of something or or try to believe something that's true, you know we kind of struggle with it at first, but eventually we we really become deceived, and I think that's ultimately finally what happened in this case. But the the thing that's the, one of the things that must have been so unsettling to Isaac is that he thinks back and he reflects on what Jacob has just done to realize the bitterness and the anger that Jacob must have had towards him all these years 
to be able to pull off this kind of thing. You know, if you're a parent, you can you can relate to this, how how absolutely shocking it would be to wake up and realize one day that you have for years fostered this kind of hostility towards yourself in your child. And and so maybe that's what's at this point causing him to just shake is this realization how how badly he's misjudged everything here. He's really blown it. Okay? Well, uh, then there's another thing I think about that may have just just made him lose it here. Okay? And and that's the idea, and I've touched on this already a little bit, that that he's, you know, for a good part of his life, he's been planning to do this. You know, he's He's favored Esau. He's favored Esau for a considerable amount of time. And it's obviously been his intention to pass the blessing on to Esau. To disregard the oracle. Uh, as Dagon was pointing out. Just to disregard it or forget it or not believe it or something. And, and, and he's had his mind set on, on blessing Esau. And passing the blessing on to Esau. In spite of the fact that Esau has already sold his birthright. So he's so this is something he's he's looked for. He's dreamed of doing this. And he's and and I'm sure he's thought in his mind how cool this was going to be. How wonderful this was going to be, you know. And what a great experience this was going to be between he and his son, you know. We're going to we're going to have this meal together and I'm going to pass this blessing on to him and then you know, and the, and this whole thing that I got from my dad and from God is it's, it's going to go on, and Esau's going to have it, and and he has this wonderful dream, and it's suddenly, just in a moment, it is all swept away by, as we see, the providential hand of God. That that has to be pretty unsettling when something you've dreamed of all your life is just suddenly in a in an instant it's just gone you know i mean and the picture we get is that until the moment that esau says to him i am your son your firstborn esau it has not occurred to isaac that this could possibly happen that things could go this wrong for such a beautiful dream Probably some of us have had those things happen in our lives, haven't we? Things that we've really cherished and dreamed about and wanted to see happen. And, and then in a moment, they're just gone. And it just, what does it do? It just, your heart goes out of you, doesn't it? Your heart just sinks. And this poor old man, blind man, is just left there sitting there just trembling at the loss of a vision, the death of a vision. Well, and then there's another thing that I think of that might have caused it. And, and of, of, of the three or four reasons I thought of, this is the one I, I, I tend to relate to or think about the most. And, and, and like I say, I don't know what the reasons are, but, but I think this may have been part of it. To realize how close he had come to blessing the wrong man. Now, that's pretty scary. 
And it's scary because remember when remember when we studied chapter 26, one of the points that that we mentioned is we spent a is that we spent a lot of time talking about Abraham and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jacob. But we only really spend one chapter on Isaac. And 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 that chapter, as it is, chapter 26, focuses chiefly on this whole idea of the blessing, how Isaac was blessed. OK, and so the point of chapter 26 is Isaac is the link. OK, Isaac is the link between Abraham, the blessing on Abraham and the blessing on Jacob. We could probably go so far as to say Isaac's primary purpose in life was to be the blessing bearer between Abraham and Jacob. That's his calling in life. That's why he's in the story. He serves as the link of the blessing between Abraham and Jacob. In other words, this is his purpose for living, folks. It's to get the blessing from Abraham to Jacob. His purpose in life is to bear the blessing honorably and then to transfer it to the right person. And he came this close. This close to blowing his whole life purpose. And and I don't know about you, but when I think about that thought dawning on his mind, I think at that point I would start to shake too. To realize that in my stubbornness and in my spiritual blindness, I had come this close to blowing the one thing God had given me to do in life. And it was only by the mercy and the providence of God that that disaster was averted. And to realize that would leave me shaking. I think of another example, a similar example, or example of a similar type situation. In the story of David and Nabal, remember Nabal? First Samuel chapter 25, he's kind of an obscure story. But, but he's a guy who's a real jerk. Okay? He's just a really obnoxious jerk. He's an evil guy. And David, at one point, needs some help. Uh, from Nabal and he, he appeals he sends some guys to appeal to Nabal for some help <clears throat> and Nabal uh, refuses him in not so unkind terms okay and that makes David mad okay and so David kind of loses it and he's on his way to go kill Nabal okay so he's off on his way to kill Nabal and Nabal's wife hears about it and she comes and she meets David and she implores David no, you're the king. You don't do this kind of thing. You know, this isn't right for you to do. And and David finally realizes that uh, Nabal's wife is is uh, speaking the truth and he relents and he decides he's not going to kill Nabal. He comes this close to killing Nabal. And then uh, Nabal's wife goes home. She finds Nabal in a drunken stupor because he's having this big feast. And so she says, OK, I'm not going to tell him now. I'll wait till morning. So she so she waits till morning and she tells Nabal how close he came to losing his head. And what happens? He has a stroke. And ten days later, he dies. I mean, he just goes, he just goes, 
you know, at that moment. Because it says his heart died within him and he turned to stone. And ten days later he died. Yeah. It's just that picture of how close I came to really blowing it here. <laughs> and he just his heart just went out of him, you know. Well, I think that's probably what happened with Isaac here. Probably in both of these I think, I, like I say, it could have been any any one of these things or other things, but yes, I do think he realized it. And the reason I think he realized it is because of what he says then to Esau when he says, he says, I have blessed him and yes, he will be blessed. He emphatically states that he recognizes this was of God. He recognizes that God had sovereignly, providentially intervened. And it's like a guy who's been blind all his life has suddenly in a moment had his eyes open. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, he, I think he did realize quite quickly that he had come very close to doing the wrong thing and that God had averted it. Yes? In uh, verse 35, my translation says, Your brother came with crafty cunning and treacherous deceit that is taking his blessing. I just wonder if maybe he had Oh, I can imagine. Because remember what Jacob said when his mother proposed this idea? He said, if this doesn't work, what's going to happen? I'm going to be cursed. So, uh, so I think, yeah, I, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he probably felt like he could have wrung Jacob's neck on the one hand. But on the other hand, I think he does recognize this thing is of God. The oracle, has, the oracle that was spoken so many years before has come true. And I, so I'm sure, there's a, I'm sure there's all these conflicting emotions and thoughts and stuff going on. Explicitly said it, the fact that his son is blatantly lied to him. To me, that would be you know, really disheartening to me. Oh, oh absolutely. Maybe, maybe he knew Jacob, maybe not. But the fact he just, on such an important sacred occasion, just blatantly lied. Yeah. That would take your heart away, wouldn't it? Just absolutely take your heart away to have a child do that to you. And I think for me that the sequel that says what I'm getting ready to say yeah. to, that would get me more than the things you said. Yeah. That, yeah. The thing somebody did that to me, yeah. I, you know, feel violated. That. Yeah. But what you were saying after that about the um, attempt, of, and you gave an example of David's what this one, the attempt of somebody to do something they thought was right they blew it in the spite that God God bless them. Yeah. Well, it takes my heart away. Despite our failure, God's going to be successful in our lives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as hard as we try, we can't do it. And we depend on God to yeah. fulfill that. That's, that's, uh, boy, that's a, that's a great lesson there. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, and so it's, as hard as this story is to read and to think about, it really is encouraging to see that God knows what He's about. And He's in control. And He's sovereign. And He, and he operates providentially in our lives. And sometimes, sometimes contrary to just astonishing amounts of stupidity and stubbornness on our parts, <laughs> that, he's, that He is determined to accomplish His purpose. Well... <clears throat> 
we've spent a lot of time thinking about Isaac, but there's also Esau. And Esau is another study in tragedy here. Uh, and, and what is striking about the story with Esau is how desperately at this point Esau pleads for a blessing. Do you notice how he does it repeatedly? As soon as he discovers that he's lost the blessing, he asks his father, Father, please bless me. Bless me also, oh my father. He says, he, he, uh, uh, in verse uh, 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 33, or no, 30, uh, uh, 34, verse 34, bless me, even me also, my father. Okay? So he just he cries out with this exceedingly great cry. Now, wait a minute, folks. What's going on here? This is Esau. Last time we saw Esau dealing with things about the birthright and the blessing, what was his attitude? Total indifference. Now he is so distressed that he might lose the blessing that he's crying out with this exceedingly great cry. And, and it goes on later. It talks about him weeping. And we discover something about Esau. That earlier in his life, he had no regard for the blessing. But as things happen oftentimes when we get older, our values change and we begin to realize some of the things that are important that we didn't realize when we were younger in life. And, <clears throat> and he has now reached the point where he highly values this. I want to point out to you that Esau has had a change of mind from when we last encountered him with the birthright blessing issue. Okay? So, so he cries out and he pleads with his father to bless him. Okay? And what does dad say? After Esau's first request to be blessed, what does he say? Rick, I don't know if I... I didn't say that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think his motive here is any better than Jacob's. Yeah. And we've already talked about Jacob's questionable motives at this point. Yeah. No, I don't think he's gotten his heart right with God. Uh, Hebrews refers to him as a godless and immoral man. Yeah. So no, I don't think he's repented in his relationship with God. But he certainly changed his mind about the value of the blessing to him. He really does now want the blessing that he thought was pointless earlier. Yeah, no, I wouldn't mean to imply that he'd, that he'd gotten right with God here. No. Okay, uh, what was my question that I asked? Oh, so what was, uh, what was Isaac's answer to his first plea? Your brother is deceitful and he's taken your blessing. Okay, uh, it, it is interesting that I've used the word stolen a lot, but Isaac doesn't use that term. 
I'm, I'm, and I, I didn't really think about that until yesterday. I think I keep saying he stole the blessing, but he doesn't actually say that. And I'm going, maybe Isaac realizes here that he hasn't stolen anything. <laughs> uh, he has rec- he does recognize the deception and the treachery and all that sort of thing involved. But anyway, so so if we, uh, just for the sake of time, maybe I can kind of kind of move us through this very quickly here. Uh, Esau says. Please bless me, even me also, my father. And I says, uh, excuse me, I don't think you understand. Your brother took the blessing. And then, and then Esau responds with that line about Jacob's name and how he's been betrayed these two times, supplanted these two times. And of course, he doesn't take any blame. <laughs> Notice Esau doesn't take any blame for what happened with the birthright. And he clearly is blameworthy there. <clears throat> But then he ends that by saying, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And then, and then Isaac says, I don't think you quite got it, Esau. Here is what I gave him. I made him your master. I have given his relatives to him as servants. I have given him grain and new wine to sustain him. What is there left for you, son? There's nothing left for you. Do you not get it? At which point then Esau says, Father, is there only one blessing? Is there not not some other blessing with which you can bless? Please bless me, my father. And then Isaac comes back with the severest answer of all when he says, listen. This is what you get. You will dwell away from the fertility of the earth and the dew of the heavens from above. And you will live by your sword. And you will be Jacob's servant. And eventually, when you get restless, you will break his yoke off your neck. And what we see here is Esau's repeated request to be blessed and Isaac's increasingly severe answer, it cannot be done. It cannot be done. It cannot be done, son. And the reason it cannot be done is because in spite of all the deception and all the fraud and all the carnality that's gone on in this scenario, the providential hand of God has been at work. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 tells us that Isaac blessed Jacob by faith. So even though there's all this fraud... Even though there's all this deception, when Jacob spoke, he was speaking by faith in God. And he had confidence that God was giving him these words to say to this man who was in front of him whom he could not see. And that's why it's irrevocable. Because it was God. It wasn't Jacob. I mean, it wasn't Isaac. It was God's blessing on Jacob. And Isaac was in no place to reverse it. He had spoken it in faith. And God had providentially worked through the wickedness of Jacob to put Jacob in the place to receive the blessing. Because God intended 
Jacob to have the blessing. Well, that still leaves this very troubling question that comes up in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17. In fact, let's flip over there and just take a couple minutes to look at that. And I want to point out some things to you, lest we misunderstand what Hebrews chapter 12 is saying. But in verse 16, uh, he, he refers to the character of uh, uh, he refers uh, to the character of Esau. Uh, specifically, I should mention when Esau was uh, younger and had uh, exchanged his birthright. He says uh, in verse 16, that 12 to 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Clearly what he's talking about here is this story we've just been reading. Okay. Now, what we need to understand here a couple things we need to understand is that in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews is using Esau as an illustration, not as an example. Okay. What I, what I mean by that is he's illustrating for us a principle using Esau as an allegory. But he's not using Esau as an, ex as an explicit example. In other words, there's not a direct parallel between what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in chapter 12 and what happened in Genesis chapter 27. The reason being, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in chapter 12 is salvation. Okay? But there's no salvation at issue in Genesis chapter 27. What's at issue in chapter 27? The blessing, okay? The blessing. The, the right of dominion over the family, but most importantly, the progenitorship of the Christ. That's what's at stake. And Jacob had been chosen sovereignly by God to be that progenitor of the Christ. There's no salvation at issue in chapter 27 of Genesis. But what... Esau does illustrate for us is that there comes a time in the dealings with God and the dealings with eternal things, there comes a time when it can be too late. That's what he does illustrate for us. And the writer of Hebrews uses that principle, uses that principle that is illustrated for us with Esau, that there comes a time when it's just simply too late. And the, and the die has been cast, if you will, and the circumstances cannot change. And that is true, he says, in regard to salvation. What was true with Esau in regard to the blessing is also true in regard to this issue of salvation. And what we discover then from the story of Esau and from, this, from the, uh, uh, the way that it's applied and understood here in Hebrews chapter 12, what we come to understand is that those who disregard and despise and regard lightly the eternal things will not always do so. People will not always despise and disregard eternal things. Someday they're going to wake up and they're going to realize how precious they are and how important they are. And they can only hope they wake up and realize that before it's too late. Because there is a time in every person's life 
when it's too late. And that's what Hebrews is trying to warn people of. You've been floating around here in the church and you've been putting on the Christian, uh, the Christian garb and the Christian lingo and the Christian conduct and you've made it look like you're a Christian but you really have not yet experienced Christ. And, and, and now you're facing persecution and you're facing opposition because you've associated yourselves with a Christian and you're thinking about rejecting this whole thing. And I just want to tell you, the writer of Hebrews says, look at Esau. There is such a thing as too late. There is such a thing as too late. There is a time when the time for repentance is past. Now, when it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he sought for repentance, but he could not find it. Whose repentance was Esau seeking? Isaac's. He was seeking Isaac to change. He wanted Isaac to change his mind. He was pleading with Isaac to change his mind. And it was Isaac whose mind could not be changed. And the lesson of that is, there comes a time in a person's life when no matter how hard they plead with God, God's not going to respond because it's too late. So the repentance that the repentance that Esau was unable to find is not his own repentance. In fact, you know whether or not he's repented or not, I don't know. He certainly had a change of mind about how he values the blessing. He certainly values it more than he did before. What all that involves, I don't know. But it's not Esau who's trying to change his mind here. He's trying to change his dad's mind. And he's not having any success at it. Because his dad knows that God has decreed this is the way it's going to be. And so, what we discover then is that in an individual's life, there is such a thing as this concept of being too late. We've all had it in our lives, right? We've had times when we've been, we've just simply been too late. And it's kind of one of the most disappointing experiences you can have, isn't it? You try to get to a great sale at the store, you know, and this is the last day, but you get there five minutes too late and the doors are closed, you know. You're rooting for your football team and they've been down, you know, through the whole game and they're, and they're coming back and they're on a roll and they're scoring touchdowns and they just come up one point short when the clock runs out and it's too late. And those are all trivial matters. When we were talking about trembling, I thought of this. There'll be no greater fear than when a person who's lost wakes up in the presence of God. There'll be, and I was sitting there thinking, well, I will never have to taste that. Yeah. yeah. I, I could think of no greater fear for shock. I mean, I was thinking of this lady, Jen, that's going to wake up in surgery and be told this terrible news. Mm hmm. And as bad as that is, well, none of us will have to face you know, Christ that year. Yeah. And we have to think of this, the greatest fear there is out there. We won't have to face it. Yeah, yeah. And that is absolutely true. However, I had to ask myself this question as I was thinking about this lesson today. I asked, is it ever too late for a Christian? And I would suggest to you that Certainly not in respect to salvation, which is, of course, the critical issue. But, but I think there are times in a Christian's life when it becomes too late. When we've, when we've disobeyed God or we've disregarded the Lord or we've, we've, we've gone our own way and we've been stubborn and, and God has wanted us, called us to certain things or, or 
been moving us in a certain direction. We've been stiff-necked and rebellious. And, and, and I've asked myself, well, is it possible for a Christian to be too late? And, and I think it is. And I think we have some examples in Scripture. Ananias and Sapphira. The believers in Corinth who were breaking bread in an unseemly manner. Our examples of people who, who just didn't listen to the Holy Spirit and just, just didn't respond when God was prodding them. And eventually it got too late. And, and then I thought, you know, of course, the obvious question then is, as a believer, how, how do I know when it's too late? Well, in the two cases I've cited, the Lord took them home. So, if you're wondering if it's too late in your life at this point, I would say, if you're still alive, there's a good chance it's not. But, it's a warning for us, isn't it? That even as believers, it's possible for us, I think, to stiff arm God just so long and He says, okay, that's it. You know, you, you just need to come on home. Because you're not, you're not doing me any good down there. You just need to come home. So there's a lot for us to learn, isn't there, from the story of Esau. A tremendous warning for unbelievers about the horrible tragedy of waking up someday and realizing it's too late. And it's not necessarily when they die or when the Lord comes. In an unbeliever's life, it can happen even earlier in their life, before death. So it's true. of Israel, I guess, I mean, they represent probably believers at the time when they came to the land and wouldn't go in. And after they rebuilt, 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 and finally God said, you guys, that's just that's it. many times. Yeah. And you're not going in. Yeah. So I think that could represent a lot of people. Oh, sure. You would miss the blessings down here by constant rebellion. And then he took them out in the wilderness and let them all die out there. You. Yeah. So, Die in the wilderness. Tremendous warnings. Well, we're way out of time, so thank you for your attention. And uh, no Sunday school next week uh, because it's the day after Christmas, and then we'll be back together in a couple weeks.